Welcome to Neither the Time Nor the Space, a podcast about Doctor Who. My name is David, and as always, I am joined by the besieged Matt. Hello there. Whew, well, a bit of a come down, isn't it? Yeah. After, uh, what's, after what's the point? That's what I say. <laughs> to be fair, you've said that the other 99 <laughs> weeks previously. Yeah. Um, what is it? Fill me once, shame on you. Fill me a hundred and one times, shame on me. <laughs> Something like that. Um, um, so, before we start, is there anything you want to put on today's agenda? Oh, there are a couple of things, actually, okay. uh, that I did want to mention, because I've had quite an extended universe kind of a week in okay. terms of my Doctor Who uh, consumption. So... Uh, Full disclosure, I've had an absolute nightmare of a week at work this week. Like, it just... You know when you get weeks that just start terribly and just seem to roll on from there yeah. and you never really recover? So I, I, was in a, I came back from work in a foul mood on uh, Monday evening and spotted that uh, Big Finish had uh, put a load of Time War-related box sets on offer, including the uh, Complete War Doctor... Uh, stories. Um, wow. So your week got even episodes. worse from there. There's <laughs> twelve episodes in total. I actually put it on Twitter as well. Uh, something along the lines of um, hopefully listening to my favourite fictional character having an even shitter time than I am will make me feel better. And it did, to be fair. Um, so I've listened to the first three of those this week um, and thoroughly enjoyed them. Um, and uh, also. This week is the week that uh, Time Lord Victoria stuff started uh, trickling out. Mm-hmm. Um, Any good? So, well, it's it's early days yet. So so far, what's come out is uh, in terms of the stuff that I'm. I'll be honest. I'm not. I'm not one of those people who's buying into everything because the everything with Time Lord Ridic- uh, Victorious is is frankly ridiculous. You know, they're doing figurines and T-shirts and uh, live interactive theatre things and stuff like that. And I, I won't be bothering with a lot of that stuff, but the core stuff, the books, the audios, the, the comics, uh, I, I'm, I am going to be picking up all of those as they come out. So, so far, it's just a couple of comics. The first issue from the Titan Comics range uh, featuring the Tenth Doctor and um, the first issue of the uh, Doctor Who magazine comics. And I'm, I'm a subscriber to Doctor Who magazine anyway, so that was coming regardless. But... Um, I didn't realise it's actually going to be like its own supplement. It's actually like a standalone comic book. Normally they just have a few pages of comics tucked in the middle of the magazine. Mm-hmm. But this is kind of like its own sort of uh, comic issue. Um, so basically, I so far I have read sort of the first half or third of two different comic stories with very little idea of how they relate to one another featuring two different doctors. But what I can say is so far it's, it's been, a, I would say a promising start to time Lord victorious. There's some interesting stuff tucked away in there. Um, and I'd be very excited to see where it develops. So I might sort of keep listeners abreast of, uh, without wanting to spoil anything. Nah, um, go big on spoilers. To... It'd be well funny. <laughs> there is a major one I could drop for the uh, Doctor Who magazine one. There is a there is a crazy little law bomb in it that I don't think anyone was expecting. Go on, this won't go out I for am... another week. No, you haven't watched no, it since. I'm then. not going to do it. I'm not going. I'm not going to do it because it's it's such a cool, interesting thing that I I want people to discover that for themselves. Um, but what what I would say is I, I do think. With Time Lord Victorious, it is all into as with all the 
extended universe stuff. It is entirely optional. Mm. But right now, with, frankly, the, the prospect that we're not going to be getting much in the way of new Doctor Who for the next 12 months or so, I think they, they've, they've announced that they are starting to tentatively uh, enter into production for Series 13. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's going to be a while before we, we see the fruits of that labour, I think. So in, it's kind of fortuitous. Time Lord Victorious came along at just the right time, I think. Um, so if you are sort of jonesing for some new Who uh, content, then, I, you know, you could do a lot worse, I think, than than picking up some of these comics and books and things. And I'm very excited to see how it goes. So, uh, yeah, what about you, Matt? What have you been up to this week? Uh, just been at work and then just having a <laughs> lot of nana naps when I've been tired. I'm jealous. Pretty much it. Uh, Mario 3D All-Stars came out yesterday. I've been playing Mario 64. Oh, very nice. Um, I do have four things on my agenda for today. Um, They they are short. This isn't going to be like last week. I was going to say, we had a whole discussion last week about how we would never do... They're a lot shorter (laughs) than last week. Don't worry. Uh, So you can pick one, two, three or four. I wish I had a D4 with me, but uh, sadly not. So uh, let's just say three. Three. Okay, so that is Day of Action. Yep. So last week, I'm not going to lie, I'm a little bit sick of everyone talking about Robot Wars. So I wanted to put an end to it. (laughs) Good luck with that. So uh, I thought I'd have my own Day of Action. Uh Uh, As you remember, the Day of Action is when everyone rang the BBC and said, uh, can you bring... Doctor Who back. Mm-hmm. So I, I've actually emailed the BBC about bringing Robot Wars back. I thought if it was back on the telly, everyone would just shut up and leave us alone. How did that pan out for you? Uh, is it back on telly? So online, uh, the title of my email is A Mission of Robot Wars from BBC iPlayer. Mm-hmm. And I said, hello, whilst not necessarily a complaint about BBC Two, because you had to log it as a channel that you were complaining right. about. And Robot Wars used to be on BBC Two. So I, did I said, I struggle to find a way to make a comment regarding iPlayer. My complaint is in regards to the omission of the popular series Robot Wars from the iPlayer service. Are there any plans to add the show in its entirety to the service? Any help much appreciated. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we got a reply. And this is the end of the Robot Wars story. Everyone can sort of leave us alone after this. It says, hello there. Thanks for getting in contact with the BBC iPlayer support to make a complaint that Robot Wars is not available to watch. The majority of programmes on iPlayer are available for a limited amount of time after being broadcast on BBC TV. Robot Wars hasn't been broadcast in some time, which is why it's currently unavailable. Having said that, it says programme, but I think he means programmes, no spelling mistakes allowed, can Mm -hmm. become available again, possibly if they are repeated. Rest assured that your complaint about this and your wish for the programme to be available has been recorded. This will be placed into our BBC iPlayer feedback report, which will be seen by the head of BBC iPlayer, as well as by the various iPlayer product teams. Thanks again for getting in touch. So it's pretty much guaranteed then. Yeah, it's, it's be, going all the way to the, the end top. Of the week. Yeah. I, I don't like I'm the sure fact that he spelt some word wrongs. So I'm going to probably mm. cancel my television licence. Well, right. as as a fellow administrator, I've, I've, I, you know, my heart goes out to anyone whose time is wasted in that. <laughs> After the week I've had at work, 
So that's some of the, it. Some it, of the uh, communications I've been dealing it, with. It's done. I don't know what more yeah. I can do to bring Robot Wars back. Okay. Yeah, you've you've certainly you've you've done you've gone the extra mile. Yeah. Bro. Okay. Um, all right then. So I, hit me with the number one. Okay. So let's rattle that through is, It's sort of linked because I thought if we started talking about other things other than Robot Wars, uh-huh. then people will stop talking about Robot Wars. So this week I pitched ten ideas for new podcasts. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to read the title, and I want you to see if mm-hmm. you can guess what the podcast is, and whether you're willing to produce it or not. Okay. Okay. <laughs> the answer to the second question is no on all counts. Okay. But uh... <laughs> all right then. Well, the first one is a podcast I've called "What a Wonderful Kind of Day." <sighs> I haven't haven't the faintest clue. Oh, that must be a reference to something I'm not aware that, of. That's where we would watch and review Arthur the Aardvark. Yeah, I never got on with Arthur. You don't know the song? And I say, hey, what a wonderful uh, kind oh, of day. Oh, I remember. I, I remember enduring it when it was on CBBC back in the day, but I never enjoyed it. All right. Well, you might be more interested in pod number two, which is called yep. The Lady of the House Speaking. Oh, I, don't, I can't think what that would be a reference to. Uh, that's where we'd watch and review Keeping Up Appearances. Oh, God. Um... I wonder how, how many episodes would you last with that until you completely lost your mind? 101. <laughs> okay, um, what about I- idea number three, which is called You Can and You Will? That's where we'd watch and review um, Can't Cook, Won't Cook. <laughs> I'm certain you'll know uh, this one. I, I, I mean, I, I have fond memories of Can't Cook, Won't Cook. That takes me back. What about this hey, one? Go on. A pod called You Are a Lovely Machine. Is that Bertha? It is. We could watch and review Bertha. You know what? That's the first one that's properly tempted me. Really? Right, well, maybe I need, everyone... Could... I, need to, I need to sit a little absorber off down with some, uh, some Bertha. Bertha at some point. Yeah. We've not, we've not done Bertha. We've been doing a lot of Towser with him. Oh, really? Loves his Towser, yeah. What about if we did a show called Surf Dudes with Attitude? I don't know. Is that like Home and Away? They did a lot of surfing. No, on that, didn't it was they? California Dreams, which was like a poor man's Saved by the Bell. Mm. Oh, you must know this that, one. That passed me by. Yeah, go on. We don't want any crisps, and this pint tastes off. So presumably that is two pints of lager yeah, and a packet of crisps. <laughs> but we don't want to talk I, about that on pod. We don't. Or ever. I, I do. If I could just forget that show ever existed, I would be perfectly content with that. Okay, so we're back on children's TV. Yeah. A podcast called Here Are The People You Could Meet. I don't know. No, that, drawing a blank. That was Pigeon Street. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, Pigeon Street. I remember Pigeon Street. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the next one, Summertime of I filed of that alongside the likes of um, Poddington Peas and the Shoe yeah, People. Yeah, stuff like that. Remember the Shoe People? Yeah. That is a bizarre premise for a children's Well, that was just a period of time where children's TV was just anthropomorphized objects. Yeah, and they just, but they were obviously scraping the barrel. They're like, what haven't we done yet? Uh, uh, shoes? <laughs> shoes. Let's do shoes. Talking shoes. That'll okay. shut them up for 10 minutes. So, 
still sort of with children's TV. Summertime yeah. of our lives. Oh, um, no. It's where uh, we can watch that... and review Pug Walls Summer. I don't know if you remember that. I do not remember that. It's about a scruffy Australian boy who starts a band. Ah, uh, no. If we're talking Australian kids TV of the 90s, then I'm surprised you didn't go for Round the Twist. Nah, too mainstream. <sighs> I'd go for Lift Off. I, mean... I don't know if you remember Lift Off, but that was like... Like LSD. Was that... Was that the one I did? I have very vague memories of an Australian kids show that was kind of similar to the premise of like Third Rock from the Sun, where it was aliens living on Earth, uh, but in Australia. It might have had aliens in it, but I don't think so. Maybe. maybe what about a Who podcast knows? called Ola Borg? Uh, is, is that a Star Trek thing? No, it's Big Bad Beetle Borgs. <laughs> Do you remember that? Very vaguely. It was when Power Rangers was uh, popular and everyone yeah, was just yeah. doing karate. Yeah. Now, this one, I think, is the one that you'll go for. This is the winner, is it? These boots are made for walking. Now, normally it's shoes, so... But unless... This isn't, this isn't actually the shoe people, is it? No, no, no. no. I sort of wish it was. Boots. Uh, that would I be Reboot. Know. What was Reboot? It was like a Canadian CGI children's television programme. Uh, I'll tell you the one that I was thinking would be the, mo- the most appropriate one for shifting the, the focus away from Robot Wars. Do you remember... The, it, I think it was very ill-fated. I think it only got the one series. It was a BBC Two programme... Are you going to say Time Commanders? No, but it's not a million miles away. It was... um, Oh, God, I'm drawing a blank on the name of it. There there was, like, a piece of software that you had to download and you could create your own, like, fighting character. Oh, yes, I know what you mean, yeah. And it, and it was sort of similar to Robot Wars in that you'd have a team who'd built who'd made their character and then they'd do, like, really clunky CGI fights. So it was a kind of an attempt to bridge the gap between... Uh, Games Master and Robot Wars, and it was dreadful. Yeah, I'm like just it was to just find what it was called. Oh, man, I wish I could remember because I remember very excitedly trying to install the software on my knackered old home PC running Windows 95, and it was having none of it. Was it BattleBots? No, it wasn't BattleBots. That's American Robot Wars. Oh, uh, right. Yeah. Uh, never mind. Okay, so... If any, if anyone is listening and can remember the name of that show that I'm referencing, do genuinely email and tell me because I, I would love to know and, and dig up some clips of it. I remember it. I remember the sense of def- def- deflation when it actually came on the air because, I, I, you know, months ahead of it, they released the software and... I. I was very excited by the premise of it. And then <laughs> when it actually made its way to TV, I was just like, oh, no, this this just doesn't work on any level. Uh, do you know what? I've just found... Oh, it was called Cubix. Cubix? Maybe that was it. Or was it yeah. Heavy Gear? I don't think it was either of those. Uh, someone's it asked the same wrong. question online, and those are, like, the two posts. <sighs> No, someone will know. 
Someone out there will know. Never mind. I'll know it when I hear it. I'll definitely know it when I hear it. Anyway, um, all right then. Uh, so that was item number one on your agenda. Yep. Let's let's have item number four. Okay. So this one is specially for episode one hundred and one because I, yep. I thought we could play room one hundred and one. <laughs> okay. Um, so this week I went on the internet. I know that always scares you a little bit. It does. And yeah. basically, I just went on Reddit and I was like. In terms of Doctor Who, because I was still mad about the whole midnight debate. Yeah. I was like, what's the hill people are willing to die on? Yeah. So I'm going to read some out, and you can tell people whether they're right or not. Okay. Okay. So the first one's from Gargus SCP. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to read all the people that replied, because a lot of them were just talking absolute nonsense to me. Just like uh, a lot, of, a lot of it about uh, Whitaker Chibnall era stuff. No, no, like classic who. Just like mm. uh, when when Troughton flew that kite, it must have meant that his cat was ready for its tea. I'm just like <laughs> that, that makes no sense. Shut up. <laughs> right. So the first one, Gargus SCP. His yep. hill that he's willing to die on is that the show's canon is a contradictory, convoluted mess, and at best. Stories are so often self-contained with no attempt at law crafting or drawing on its history. The reason for this is so no one bad story or weird new law point can wreck the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Agree or disagree? Agree, yeah. And and that's a great. Uh, I, I, that's one of the things I love about Doctor Who. So that's great. Okay. Yeah. Now this next one is from Jacobus X that was in touch last week. And, yes, yeah. And he's with, already uh, said that that wasn't his first shout yeah. out on the podcast, so I don't even know who he is. Yeah. So he's like my impossible girl. I need to solve <laughs> him as a puzzle. Just keeps popping up. And yeah. his is that it's absolutely fine to call the character Doctor Who. Agreed. Okay, so people are doing well so far. Mm-hmm. Now the next one is... There's three questions, but I only understood two of them, so I'm only going to read two of them. And this okay. is from Howling Snail. Mm-hmm. Good, good username. Point one. Sarah Jane didn't get good until she got her own TV show. No. No. Incorrect. No, it was K9 and Company, wasn't it? Uh, no. Sarah Jane is lovely and perfect from start to finish. I will brook no argument there. Okay. And his second point is, many pure historicals are great. Otherwise, good historicals have been ruined by including a monster. Agreed. Oh, wow. 100% agreed with that. Yep. Bring back the pure historicals. All right. What, what was that? That's something, actually, I forgot to mention. When, when we were asked last week about what would you do if you were a showrunner, that's something I, I was kicking myself for not saying. I would definitely, I would include a couple of pure historicals for every series. Wow. I would do that. Yeah. Right, the next one from Fire Leo. Mm -hmm. I seem to exist in a solitary vacuum where I think the Absorbaloff is unironically scary and has a great design. I think you had to be a certain age at the time to be freaked out by it. I can certainly imagine, you know, if I was six years old and I saw the Absorbaloff, I can imagine being freaked out by it. But, you know, I was an adult when that episode aired, so it's always just been kind of faintly ridiculous and sort of just like some sort of cross between Mr. Blobby and Fungus the Bogeyman, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Never quite did it for me. Right. And then the last one has 
done six different points. Okay. okay. All right. Let's rattle and this these. is from Cash Who. And again, I don't understand some of these. So, the first one. Doctor Who has a cannon. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Disagree. Oh, I thought he meant on the TARDIS, just to, like, fire out at Daleks. No, I think that's that's the age-old debate is, <laughs> is there a cannon or, or isn't there? I know. Isn't there a cannon? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, th- so. this one I don't think I've seen and I don't understand. So okay. you're sort of just talking to the listeners on this one. All right. The I'll, explanation I'll of time story. travel in Orphan 55 is wrong. I am one of those people who does not give a shit about time travel rules. You know, people who just tie themselves in knots or, or praise the high heavens, like films like Primer and Looper or Back to the Future or whatever it is that they hold it up as this, as this is the perfect like time travel story. This is how you do time travel and no one should do it differently to this or whatever it is. I don't give a shit. If it serves the story and is interesting, then I'm fine with it. Mm-hmm. I don't care. I, you know, and, and Doctor Who has contradicted itself in terms of what you can and can't do with time travel so many times that it just doesn't matter. Is it a good story or isn't it? That's all that matters. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay, number three. Ace ended up as a Time Lord. That is a reference to the... That was the intended endpoint for Ace as a character, but the show was cancelled before they got to that point. Yeah, she started a charity, didn't she? Or That's like uh, a billion yeah, pound th- company. Yeah, I think is is that something that sort of referenced in? There's a lot of stuff that happens like in the New Adventures novels. Yeah, I think what, the one I've like seen that. where Ace is yeah. like an older lady working in an office. I think when I saw it, it was a special scene recorded for the DVD release. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um. I'm. I'm not well versed enough in Ace to 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 sort of say definitively what I would like her outcome to be. But you know, again, tying back into the whole, does Doctor Who have a canon or not? Like, if there is a book out there that that kind of goes down that route and you like it, you, you're welcome to have it. That's yours. So number four, the woman in the end of time was Romana. I I know no. who that woman is, but I don't know who Romana is. I'm trying to think. No, mm. no, you haven't met Romana, have you? No. no. We've got to do a Romana story at some point. Yeah. Um, no. Okay. Disagree. If if you're going to bring Romana back, you do you do better with than that with than than that character. Yeah. Number five. We haven't seen the Doctor tell River his name. Hmm. Uh, that's an interesting one. Yeah, I don't know that we ever have on screen. No, but that doesn't mean to say that it that it hasn't happened. I I am of the opinion that she knows his name by the time we get to Silence in the Library. Uh-huh. But I don't think we have seen it on screen. No, there's been a couple of fake outs, but I don't think we've actually seen it. And number six, Father's Day shows how bad of a companion Rose is. No, disagree. Okay. She's just a human being. There is one more I missed off the bottom. Um, so I can't make out this username. It's just like numbers and letters. Um, okay. I'm sure if they're listening, they know who they are. And it just says, Turn Left is a better season four episode than Midnight. I mean, who, who, where are you finding these people, Matt, every week? 
who have this insane opinion. <laughs> Not going to lie, that one was just from me. I was just going to see if I could make you <laughs> say yeah. <laughs> no. No, fundamentally disagree. Turn left is has some interesting, like, like some powerful moments, but ultimately is pointless. You know, just amounts to a hill of beans because um, it's you know as is the case with any sort of like alternative timeline story that is then undone by the end of it. Um, and midnight is fucking brilliant. So shut up. Moving on. Rude. Final final item on the agenda. Okay. Uh... What did you have for lunch today? What did I have? I had a cheese and onion sandwich. Oh, nice. Mm. Cheese sandwiches are cropping up a little bit. I know it was fish fingers in I, a pitta last week, but... I eat a lot of cheese sandwiches, mm. it must be said. You know, being being a vegetarian, I'm partial to a bit of cheese. Mm. Sounds good. Yeah, there you go. It is going to start getting very boring after a while. I think you're going to start seeing a lot of repetition in my uh, in my repertoire. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about you? What did you have for lunch? Oh, thank you for asking. I was waiting for that. Um, <laughs> I had a couple of slices of pizza that were left over from last night. Ah, oh, nice. Can't go wrong with a leftover pizza. Um, anything else we need to mention? I don't think so. I think it is time for us to talk about uh, the time of the Doctor. Mm. That was a very unintentional pun, but there you go. <laughs> so I've got... First thing I want to ask you, before I even ask you whether how you feel in terms of this episode you know, on a you know, usual scale, what I want to know from you, Matt, is at what point did you twig that this was a regeneration story? Um, pretty much towards the end. Really? Yeah. I was listening back to the I mean, there's a lot of, of foreshadowing. And it's just yeah. me like going, oh, well, Capaldi's on, on the horizon. You know, I'm guessing we will get half a season still out of Smith. Yeah. But, but I, I assumed, like, by the time... There's a lot of foreshadowing all the way through this story. I know, but the Doctor's always an old man and he always gets better. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll be very interested to see... Well, well, maybe we'll hit on... You can pinpoint the exact moment when, when we go through the episode then, but that surprises me. That's well, interesting. I'm not going to lie, I'm absolutely heartbroken. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. You, you weren't ready to let go? No. Of old Matt Smith? No. Now that he's yeah. gone, I'm 100% certain Smith's been my favourite Doctor. Mm. I felt very similarly at the time. Yeah. No. I, I, won't, I won't spoil whether I still feel that way or not, but no. uh, certainly at the time, I, I wasn't ready for him to go. No. Um, and, I must admit, I'll I, did, you... I did do a quick, like, scan on Twitter and loads of people yeah. are like, oh, Capaldi's my favourite. But then when I looked at those people's like profile pictures, they look like they should live under a bridge. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm not happy. I'll uh, warn you now, I'm not happy about this. All right. Well, uh, I don't know. I, I'll tell you who else wasn't ready for Matt Smith to go. That's Stephen Moffat. Oh, I thought you were going to say Matt Smith. He was like dragged out. <laughs> like I, I think it was bittersweet for him. Mm. He did. There is he. He has talked about how he he broke down a bit towards the end of the first table read when he was re- saying the lines. I'll never forget when the Doctor was me. Mm. Like that kind of broke him. Yeah. Um, I think it's one of the hardest decisions you'd ever have to make as an actor, and and, and such a unique one as well. Being like. 
when when is it time for me to let go of this character because once you let go you'll never you'll never quite get back to that point like you might even if you're doing stuff with big finish or you're coming back for an anniversary special or whatever it is you're still you're not the incumbent you know you get one one shot at you know being in the driving seat and you know once once you're gone that's it you know you're handing it over to someone else and you just become you know part of the ever-growing heap of nostalgia mm. um so it must be a very hard thing for an actor to, to decide when is the right time to go and Stephen Moffat is on the record as saying he had really really hoped and tried very hard to persuade Matt to stay on for one more series and I think it shows in this episode as much as I think there are some brilliant bits in this episode it to me it really feels like an attempt to cram a series worth of story arc into a Christmas special um, for, for good or ill um, no, I just I thought think it was going to be a normal Christmas special like Victorian setting some sort yeah. of cratchety old man that learns a lesson and the joy and happiness of Christmas yeah um, so yeah I, I think how did you feel then overall when it went like, did you enjoy the experience or were I, you just a bit shell shocked by good. it? It's good. I'm not saying it's not yeah. good. I mean, there's a few bits that are a bit wishy washy. Um, yeah. And there were some bits I really did like, but yeah, I still think I'm probably not really over it yet. That's fair. I, I, I remember being left not knowing how on earth I felt about it on the first watch. It's one of those ones that really has taken multiple watches for me to kind of firm up my opinion on. Mm. Um, which ultimately is a bit of a mixed bag, yeah. to be honest. There's elements that I really, really love. There's elements that really rub me up the wrong way. And it, it just about gets away with it. Um, in some ways, I think one of the, the best comparisons to it is something like uh, Let's Kill Hitler, mm. where it just it has this kind of manic energy to it. You know, everything's happening at 100 miles per second pretty much all the way through. There are a few moments where things have got a bit more breathing space and slow down and, you know, we, we get a bit more of an emotional space every now and then. But uh, there is so many mad ideas all crammed into this story mm. that it's kind of hard to keep up with at times. But uh, ultimately, it, it just about does its job, I think. And when it's good, it's really good. Mm. So um, shall we Shall we sort of uh, get into the nitty gritty of it? Yeah. And, uh... Yeah, half an hour preamble is better than an hour and a half last week. Is it? Oh, it certainly is. We 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 I'm slowly reining you back in. Yeah. <laughs> so, like we say, 2013 Christmas special, and it opens with a planet sending the universe a message, and that message is the sound of a bell tolling. And yep. Those that arrive at the planet to answer the call arrive afraid. Except one man, the man that stayed for Christmas. Yes, we all know who that's going to yeah, be. It's the Doctor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this, this, this is all being provided by voiceover from 
Tasha Lem. Yeah, I'm going to talk about her in a minute. Oh, I've got thoughts about Tasha Lem. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Okay, so basically he appears on a Dalek ship. They all appear on fire. And... Yeah, I like this gag that he he's, he's strolling on, trying to play the action hero and being like, here is a, a symbol of my bravery. And he's waving a Dalek plunger. Yeah. <laughs> or, or an eye stalk, I think. I think it's an eye stalk. And then it turns out it's it's a Dalek ship. So, yep. And this is where we meet my favourite character, Handles. Everyone's favourite character. Yeah. Who doesn't love Handles? Yeah. Um, I'll just... I'll, it's it's one of those uh, facts that gets trotted out. And uh, so I'm just going to get it out of the way right now so we don't I- ignore it. Um, Handles is technically the Doctor's longest-serving companion. Yeah. I was speaking to our bestest podcast podcast friend uh jake yeah. from married to who and he yeah. pointed that out to me yeah. So, yeah it's a great it's a great bit of trivia yeah um is it yeah, 400 years they're together something like that mm. yeah it's a, you know they'd already been together for a while before the start of this episode and then there's you know the whole the whole siege of christmas like, imagine if you didn't get place. along <laughs> like, I know Handles is like flawed in his character, but imagine yeah. like what would be the worst case scenario for you? Who would you not want to be trapped with for four hundred years? I mean, basically anyone. Same. I you see, I'm a misanthrope. It's you know, apart from my partner and my son, I couldn't imagine anyone else that I would I would actually willingly spend that amount of time with. Thank you very much. You're welcome. I I mean it. I would I would murder you. Wow. <laughs> but I mean, it, but not immediately. But you know, after a hundred years or so, we'd have run out of things to talk about. I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> oh, that's really upsetting. No, me. I'm sorry, Matt. I, I'm just, I was going to say, I, if it was me, I'd hate to be trapped <laughs> with like a goth. Like, no, but my, someone my point who's a real even... downer, but you just were no, like, my, oh, I don't even like is... my friends. You're, no, that's exactly it. It's like, I like my friends, but only up to a certain point. I am too much of an introvert and a myth- misanthrope to deal with other people for that length of time. Wow. Like, even people I like. Yeah. Too often I've been portrayed as the villain. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. You jump on any chance. No. To paint me in I a want bad the people light. to know that I love you for a four hundred years. <laughs> but yeah. But anyway, Handles, Handles is the best. Handles is brilliant. I mean, do we need to say more? He's one of we those say more, people. Then. Well, I say people. He's a Cyberman head, but he takes yeah. everything very literally and doesn't really understand well, what's being said. He's basic. He's basically Siri, mm. but you know, in Cyberman head form, and th- there is just something. I don't know how they do it. How do they make Handel so immediately endearing? Mm-hmm. But they just do. Uh, and it's in Matt Smith's performance. I think it's... Uh, is it Kevin Novak does the voice of uh, Handel's, sure. if memory serves? Um, yeah, they ju- it's just great. It just works somehow in a way that, you know, it's surprising. But, uh, yeah, so he... It, it, uh, the, the doctor's immediately like chastising handles for dropping him on a Dalek ship, like out of any. He just asked him to pick any ship, and that's the one he chose. So the TARDIS phone begins to ring. Yeah. And it is Clara who says she needs the doctor 
to pretend to be yeah. her boyfriend for Christmas and dinner. So it's the outside phone ringing again. Yeah. And we saw that happen with uh, in the day of the doctor as well. And he asks Handles to remind him to patch it back through to the main console mm -hmm. unit. Um, and they have a lovely bit of back and forth because um, Handles can't deal with such a vague instruction. Yeah. Um, and, his, and he tells him to just pick a random number. And uh, So the Doctor yeah. at first doesn't really want to do that, but then a shit full of Cybermen turn up. So it's like the yeah. lesser of two evils, isn't it? Well, it's a repeat of the same gag. Where he's like, he's trying to pull the same ploy and be like, here, I'm a sign of my bravery. And this time he takes handles with him. And so he's waving a disembodied Cyberman head at the massed ranks of Cybermen. Um, so, yes, it goes goes about as well as it did last time. Um, um, so then after the titles, we see yeah. Clara with her dad and her nan. Yeah. And then I've put also her mum. But isn't she dead? And then we find out it's not a mum, it's Linda. Yeah. Nondescript so relation, Linda. Yeah. I Dad's, I think, either obviously remarried or maybe it's just, you know, found himself a new partner, which is... Per, you know, people do, and that's that's great. But, like, it's obvious that um, she doesn't have the best relationship with Clara. No. So Clara runs out to the TARDIS. And yeah. a little bit of trivia... The block mm -hmm. of flats that Clara lives in is the yes. same block of flats that Rose lives in. They, it is indeed. They just went round the yeah. other side. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Shot it from a distance. I guess, you know, they, they, at the end of the day, the show's still being made in Cardiff. Mm. It's it's a convenient block of flats for them to film at. So, uh, yeah, fine. I think it's really striking that you compare... When you think about... Rose, and you think about the, the RTD era, how well we knew that block of flats and the people, some of the people who lived there, and how how real a place it felt. And then with this, like yeah. the guy playing Clara's dad isn't even the same actor as the last time we saw. Yeah. Like, like Moff we never knew Moffat, that she had a nan. We don't know who yeah, Linda is. Yeah, Moffat just he doesn't have any interest in the domestic stuff mm. it just isn't what excites him as a writer you know in the same way that uh amy amy's parents th there's this whole mystery around why don't they exist and the doctor fixes that for her but then from that point on we literally never see her parents again mm. they are in that the series five finale and that is it yeah you know um yeah it, it, it's kind of a striking contrast um but anyway yeah clara's cooking christmas dinner She's invented a boyfriend. She needs a doctor to be her uh, pretend boyfriend. Yeah. So when she gets on yeah. the TARDIS, the doctor's naked. Yeah. Um, I do not like this gag. Is this the point where he says you've got to be naked for church? Or is that slightly yeah, later? Yeah, it is. No, it, it, that's his explanation. He doesn't like go any further than it, but, than that. But it's just... It, it feels forced to me. Mm. Like, Moffat wanted a bit of wacky humour when Clara's introducing the Doctor to her family, but it feels so contrived. Yeah, no, 
I agree. Yeah, it just it, none none of this that that thing lands with me. And like, I guess we're supposed to assume then that all of the you know when we later on board the the uh, the spaceship of the Church of the Papal Mainframe that literally everyone in that on that spaceship isn't wearing clothes and has the same hologram and it's just like well, why do they all have a hologram projected the clothes if if they're not it's allowed part of their religion yeah so it's all just yeah contrivances for the sake of a cheap gag but yeah so she asked the doctor to help her cook the turkey but the sonic screwdriver doesn't do turkey in the same way yep. it doesn't do wood yeah. except it does do wood now doesn't it I don't think it does. I don't uh, they, I, didn't they run it through I, I, the, in the war day of the doctors? I think that was very specifically to open that door. Uh, it wasn't to reprogram it to work on wood from that point on. Oh no! I suppose it doesn't work on wood later on this episode, does it? No, it doesn't. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we find out that Clara keeps abusing the TARDIS, and she uses it to watch Miss Television. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I like it says. when the doctor's just like it's called iPlayer. Yeah. The fact I was watching this on iPlayer, I did have a yeah. chuckle at that. Yeah. Especially because she only goes back a few days. I'm watching seven-year-old television. <laughs> uh, and yeah. it's at this point that Handles starts to receive data from Gallifrey. Mm. Except the Doctor says it's not Gallifrey. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because they they're like they're parked outside the mystery planet that's sending the signal. Mm. You're saying that can't be Gallifrey. Is, is this where we find out what that signal's saying? No, not yet. Oh, yeah. We don't get the actual reveal of it until later. Right. So this is where the papal mainframe appears. Yeah. And we're introduced to Tasha Lem. Yeah, we've heard a voice. Now we've, we're we're getting some context Who for her. I thought was just sort of a throwaway character until. Yeah. Again, I'd listen to the Married to Who podcast talk about this. Right. What did what did they have to say on it? Because I, I, I'll i be honest, I'm not that well-versed in the world of Tasha Lem. Uh, they basically said it's River Song. What? Okay. Is it? Or at some point it was intended to be River Song. Ah, that makes more sense to me. Okay. So, so there was an earlier draft of this episode where it was River. So, for example, Lem, spelt backwards, is Mel. Ah... She right. can fly the TARDIS. She can, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That that stuck out to me on this watch. She shares a kiss with the Doctor. Yeah. Or there's certainly, like, relationship sexual tension. Yeah, this is the thing. What, what I was going to say about Tasha Lem is that, to me, she feels like the most cookie-cutter Moffat woman mm. imaginable. Like, she ticks so many of his boxes. Um... And and she yeah she feels like a cheap photocopy version of River Song basically, mm. um, but is, is who just married? happens to be in charge of a church. He is yes. And do we know what his wife's like? Does he just base all the? She's a television producer, Sue Virtue. Uh, so does he just base all the women he writes on her? I don't know, but I I, I get the very strong impression. And have you watched much Sherlock? No. Okay. Because there is also a character in Sherlock, he, their riff on, oh god, I'm blanking on the character's name now. There's a, there is a, there is a famous Sherlock short story, a, a, which features this woman who, and, and it's strongly implied this is the only woman that, that that Sherlock Holmes ever had any kind of relationship with. Mm-hmm. 
and the 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 Moffat Gatiss Sherlock riff on that story basically portrays her as a dominatrix. I have a very strong suspicion that Moffat is well into his BDSM because, like, he writes these kinds of characters who were kind of like these very strong, sassy, flirty, um, yeah, also a domineering kind of women. And I just think that's probably just a bit of a kink for him. Uh, and unfortunately, like in the case of... T- for you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly the same. Um, which is why I feel like Tasha Lem feels like the, kind of an amped up version of that, but also kind of like a pale imitation. Like, it's just the tropes and there's nothing behind it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and we're supposed to buy that the Doctor has this kind of, has had this meaningful ongoing relationship with her, yet we've never even heard her name before. Yeah. <laughs> And and all the stuff around the the, the 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 sexual undertones of it, I I just could do without. Do something different, you know. I don't, you know. I'd be much more interested in. I like the idea, and it's something that that has been peppered through the Matt Smith era, the the sort of militarized church thing. Yeah, you know, we saw we I saw think an incarnation. The same one that we've seen. It is. It's just we've seen them at different points in their history, mm. you know, hundreds of years spanning between them at times. So, yeah, so we first saw them in Time of Angels, Flesh and Stone. Then we saw them in A Good Man Goes to War. Now we're seeing them here. And, yes, it is the same, effectively the same outfit. They re- change, they change the name every so often because, like, later in this episode, they renamed themselves the, you know, the Church of the Silence. And... and um. That to me is an interesting idea. Um, and the idea of the doctor having maybe like a slightly fractious relationship with the head of this church or something like that, that there's, there's scope for something there, but I didn't need it to be, like I say, the sort of cookie cutter pseudo dominatrix Moffat trope mm-hmm. uh, character that we, that we end up with. So um all the stuff with I I I'll, I'm getting this all off my chest now, so I don't just end up just moaning all the way through the episode. Just take it as read. Basically, every scene with Tasha Lem, I'm kind of groaning and sighing my way through. <laughs> in this episode, she, it doesn't work for me. But yeah, right. So the papal mainframe is a security church. Yeah, the Doctor meets alone with Tasha, and they sort of send Clara outside. Yeah. And whilst Clara's outside, she sees one of the silence. Yeah. Which she then runs back into the room, interrupting the Doctor's sort of romantic liaison, and she mm-hmm. can't remember why. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. How did you feel having the silence back? Uh, do you know what? I, I'm not really enamoured with them. I was sort yeah. of glad they're over, if you know what I mean. Some people really love them. I think they were an interesting idea, but I didn't need them to be more than... I think I would have been quite happy with just the two episodes. I thought that had been, like, fixed with the whole moon landing thing. Well, it had, in terms of the ones on Earth. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought Clara would sort of be immune, but no. No. Never mind. So, there's a signal from the human colony below... And the Doctor agrees to be the first to investigate 
the signal. Yeah. Uh, so they're beamed down to this planet. And Clara, as she's sort of investigating where it is they've landed, sees a statue beneath the snow. And I didn't think this is where it was going to go, but it's a weeping mm-hmm. angel. Yeah. I thought it was just going to be a statue, but they were just throwing everything at the wall with this, weren't they? I feel like Moffat's kind of patting himself on the back here because obviously he created the Weeping Angels. He created the Silence, the two very popular monsters from his tenure. And so he's just kind of throwing them all in there. He's later said in an interview he regrets this scene. He said it doesn't really add anything to it. It wasn't. He wasn't happy with how it looked when it was edited. Mm-hmm. Like, he didn't think it was effective. Um, See, I, and I'd agree with I, that. I, 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 go on, sorry. I was just going to say, I, I, I kind of agree with him. I, I don't think it adds anything to this story at all. I, I was most angry because I watched this episode last Sunday. So it was the day after I'd read out my Weeping Angels poem. <laughs> I could have got another verse out of this. You could have. Yeah. But yeah, they feel kind of... It's just... It's so cursory in this. Yeah. Especially, yeah. like, they've been shown to be one of the most dangerous forces, and they do yeah. absolutely nothing here. Yeah. It's, it's. I feel like it's just, yeah. You're gonna... How do I phrase this? I don't know. It, it, there is always this temptation, I think, if it's the last story, that you want to make it a bit of a greatest hits. But I don't know that you necessarily need to do that Mm. just tell a good story in its own right yeah exactly but yeah i mean that could have been anything couldn't it they could have just invented some sort of toad that lives on this planet yeah i would just much i much would much rather that they'd rather than making it all the monsters and all the aliens circling around the the planet i would rather they just made it one particular Mm. race maybe or something but so, yeah. in order to escape, the Doctor had hidden a TARDIS key in his wig. Yeah, because Tasha Lem had been very clear that she, that she didn't want him taking the TARDIS. his TARDIS key down to the surface so, of the planet. there's contradictory stories why the Doctor's got no hair. Yeah. So, in this episode, he just basically says, oh, I got bored. Mm-hmm. However, I don't know if you've seen the 2013 Doctor Who at the Proms... No, I don't okay. think I have. So, shall we pause the chat? Do you want me to send you that link? Um, you can just describe it. Okay. Basically, it's the BBC Proms. Yeah. And they're playing the Doctor Who theme and different music from the show. Yeah. And on a big projected screen, there's like the Doctor and Clara having a little runabout trying to get into the Proms. Mm. And basically, he says, Oh, I've got this magic ticket that will swap me with someone in the. What's the word I'm looking for? Audience? No, the people that play music. Uh, uh, orchestra. Orchestra. How, how come I couldn't remember orchestra? <laughs> I have no um, idea. So, yeah, so he scratches it, and yeah. all of a sudden, the person that's conducting the orchestra turns around, and it's just Matt Smith. Hmm. And one of the people like playing the violin is just Clara, just turns around. And he says it's part of like whatever the ticket was. It caused him to lose his hair. Well, I, I think that was again... Uh, I mean, first of all, I don't think Doctor Who at the proms is canon. Well, you've just told us everything's <laughs> canon. Make your mind up, pal. 
Well, uh, okay. My to be to clarify, I think Doctor Who has a canon, but that canon will vary from viewer to viewer. You 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 as a Doctor Who fan have ownership of your own canon, and you can include or exclude whatever you want from it, including episodes of the TV show if you see fit. That's what you need. Um, and for me, something like Doctor Who are the problems. I'm not going to try and make that fit into the actual canon of the show. Um, I mean, a, but, a lot of people just say that okay. he shaved his hair off because he was going to be in the Terminator film. Well, it wasn't even the Terminator film. It was a different film. I was forget it? the name of it now. It was a smaller indie film that he was doing. It was kind of his first post-Doctor Who project, but he'd started work on it before doing this special. Um, and yeah, he needed a short hair for that. So they had to give him a wig. And they were like, well, let's lead into it and put it in the script. Better or worse than McGann's wig? Better, I'd say. Yeah. I think slightly, slightly less noticeable. And they make, uh, and by drawing attention to it, they get away with it. Yeah. So he uses the key to summon the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. And he deduces that the message that's been projected out is coming from the tower in a small town. Yeah. Okay. So the town is surrounded by a truth field. Yeah. Is, is that like imposed on it mechanically? It, we never really get an explanation for that, do we? There's just a truth field. Yeah. yeah it doesn't I, really I, say where it comes from. I think it was imposed by um, the Church of the Papal Mainframe, mm. who set up the force field around the, the planet. Um, I could be wrong about that. It's a lot of those kind of little details. I, I, I could try and understand the plot better than I do. But every time I try and watch it, I, I, I go in with this attitude like, okay, I'm going to completely focus on it and figure it out. Mm-hmm. And about 10 minutes in, I'm just like, I'm just going to go and grab a beer. It's a Christmas yeah. special. <laughs> you know? And and so I, I, I do what I normally do when watching Christmas special uh, and get a little bit tipsy during the process. So by the end of it, I'm just like, oh, I don't know what's going on and I don't really care. <laughs> so, yeah. But what I will say is I like... I like the 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 dialogue and the humor of when when they're under when they're figuring out the truth field thing. I like all the dialogue in this scene, you know, where the people ask uh, the, the the couple they meet uh, sort of ask them who they are, and and Clara says bubbly personality masking a bossy um, control freak, mm-hmm. and <laughs> and the doctor's just like, hi, I'm the last of my kind. I stole a time machine and ran away. It's just like. Um, and when they're leaving, I love, um, uh, Clara asks, uh, that this truth field, doesn't it get annoying? And simultaneously the woman says, no, not at all. And the man says, yes. (laughs) Yeah. That's a lot Uh, better than the whole naked joke, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It just shows that like Moffat is capable of very funny ideas, but he, when he's in his, Sometimes he's just in a very kitchen sink mode mm. and y- you just have to take the, the rough with the smooth when, he, when he's writing episodes like that because there's going to be some fantastic ideas and some real clunkers. Um, but yeah. So the town is called Christmas and that yeah. lends itself back to the opening phrase, the man who stayed yeah. for Christmas. Yes, so it's not just popping around for Christmas Day. He's no. actually... Yeah. So he enters the tower at the centre of the town and there's mm-hmm. a crack in the wall. 
Not just any crack. No, it's the classic Amy crack through space and yeah. time, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is Amy's crack. <laughs> oh, David. <laughs> I'll edit that out. It's Christmas Day. <laughs> um, but oh, uh, that's really <laughs> soured. Yeah, I've really, I, I've, I've lowered the tone. I've lowered the tone. Mm. I understand. Um, but yeah, I, I like Matt Smith's performance here because. You know, the way he he's just sort of very quietly like, oh, I knew I wasn't done with you. I was like, I mean, did you, though? Because I, I felt like we were done. Yeah, it seems pretty <laughs> final. <laughs> yeah, but, but he sells it. He really sells it in that moment. Mm. That, like, that he somehow knew in his bones that so, it wasn't quite over. So he says something's trying to break through. And yeah. the message from Gallifrey came through this crack. Yes. So... Yeah. Does that mean that horrible snake thing that came through to Amy's house was in a Gallifreyan prison? No, I don't believe so. It, it the... was it was an Atraxi prison. Yeah, so is it just so, that these cracks can okay. go to different places? Yes, so it's it's literally it's it's a crack in space and time. Right. So that gives you pretty much free license for things from anywhere and anywhere to potentially kind of make their way through. It's it's very it's it's a very convenient thing from a writing perspective because basically they can make that crack do whatever they want mm. for the purposes of the story. Um and it always seems but, yeah. important when there's one of those. But yeah. it could literally just be anything. Yeah, yeah. Um but yeah, I I I, I like this idea. I it, you know on first viewing, I think I was a little resistant to it, but no, actually, I quite like the idea of as a way of tying back to what we had in the day of the Doctor, and you know, suggesting that this crack could even potentially bridge between our universe and whatever pocket dimension Gallifrey has been hidden in, hmm. um, and sort of just teasing the potential of, of of maybe returning there. So the Gallifreyan message that was coming through. Yeah. Is that the correct term, Gallifreyan? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, is the question that emanates through all of space and time. Mm-hmm. What are you having for lunch? <laughs> um, no. Yeah. It's, of it's course, Doctor Who. Doctor Who. Yeah. So it's the question only the Doctor can answer. Yep. And because he's in the truth field... Mm-hmm. He has to answer that question correctly. Yes. And that is a signal to the Time Lords of Gallifrey that it's safe to come back. Yeah. So when they hear the true Doctor's spoken name, then they can, Gallifrey, yeah. Gallifrey comes back. Yes. That's another thing, because I thought, I even said last time, I thought we were going to have a whole season of him zipping around the universe looking for Gallifrey. <laughs> And he's basically tripped up and found it. <laughs> you know yeah, when you find a, a tenor in an old like yeah, pair of trousers. Exactly. Again, I like I say, Moffat tried to get Matt Smith to stay on for one more series, but he wasn't having it. So this is what we end up with. I think we're almost getting like the sort of the bullet point version yeah, of what could have been series eight. That's what I would criticize this episode for. Yeah. You know, we're doing ten things at once and each one deserves full expansion. Yeah. I think 
to to be fair to Moffat, I think he makes the right decision in terms of wiping the slate clean for Capaldi. Mm. I think it's very unfair to give a new doctor sort of hand-me-down dangling plot threads from the previous doctor. Because you want it to be a jumping-on point and you kind of want to, I think, yeah, find a new story to tell with that doctor. Um, See, because the the best example is, I would say, Eccleston into Tenant, because that sort of happens mid-story. But because it's the first time it happens in New Who, I think it helps because it shows you what this character can do, if that makes sense. I think so. And and at least there wasn't, like, they resolved the bad wolf arc before Tennant came on board. Yeah. Like, obviously, they then dipped back into it later, but, like, the initial arc of it was never intended to go beyond that that first series. And really, the, the arc that Tennant has with Rose is different, I think, to Eccleston's. Mm. Where, it's, where it's more of the story of them actually properly falling in love with each other and then being torn apart at the end. Um, but, yeah, so I feel like it's distinct enough, even though there is, there. is, you're right, there is slightly more of a transition. Um, but, yeah, so, oh, so what were we talking to, about? To help Gallifrey. the Doctor yeah. formulate a plan, he says, oh, Clara, you need to go back to the TARDIS and get me these bits and bobs. Oh, and talking of Rose, mm. we've seen this before, haven't we? Mm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, she he gives he gives her a little device to plug into the console, and yeah, takes her straight back home. Yeah, and the reason it does that is because he discovers the planet he's on is Trenzalore. Yeah. So we've seen Trenzalore in the future. In its, we've seen yeah. it at its end. Yeah, this, covered in gravestones. Yeah, this is sort of the other bookend, isn't it? We've seen it now before the battle and after the battle. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So the TARDIS takes Clara home and the siege of Trenzalore begins. The papal mainframe decides that they're going to become the Church of Silence. So they're dedicated to the Doctor never speaking his name because they don't mm-hmm. want the Time Lords to come back. So it can't. the truth field can't be coming from them then, can it? No. Because that, that they, they don't want him to speak his name. Yeah. So uh, maybe the Daleks... I don't know, like... But the Daleks don't want did, the timeless to come back Is it possible either. that the Gallifreyans shot it through? Ah, yeah, that probably makes more sense. Yes. It'd be coming... Yeah, it's probably coming from Gallif- Gallifrey. Mm. Yeah. All right. Okay, so Sontarans attack. Yeah, It's good to briefly. see them. I was excited. Yeah, I thought easily it was thwarted. Strikes, but it's not. It's just... I think it's the same actor. The, it one, is, one, yeah. Yeah, Dan Starkey. Yeah, he's got quite a recognisable voice. So yeah. yeah, and he plays both of them. Does he? Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, on the Wikipedia, he's just credited as Sontaran, and there isn't another one. Mm. Uh, so we see the angels approach. Yeah, yawn. It, <laughs> isn't it? Doesn't he make everyone walk around in blindfolds? A bit like Bird Box. Yeah, I think so. Um, and we see a wooden Cyberman, because there's no technology allowed within this town. Mm-hmm. So they become wooden. I quite like the scene with the wooden Cyberman. Mm. 
That's a fun little twist, and I love and I love the Doctor's ploy to get rid of it. Mm. Turns its blaster on itself. Yeah, because yeah, he he sort of he he tells it um, he's he sonicked it, sent a signal to reverse the polarity on the blaster, so it will fire in the opposite direction. He even asks the Cyberman to verify that the signal's been sent, and so the Cyberman does that, turns around, blasts itself. <laughs> And he just says, probably should have mentioned, it doesn't work on wood. Yeah. I love that moment. We haven't talked, actually, about the fact that he's now aged. Like, he's visibly aged. Yeah. Like, it, time has passed for the Doctor here. Mm. Um, and I like the parallel here between our nice, friendly Doctor that we all know and love and the yeah. War Doctor. Yeah. Because we judged the War Doctor so harshly for what he went through. Yeah. And our doctors, you know, having the same trial. In some ways, yes. Yeah. He's, I know he's responding kind in of a like, different way, but he's going through yeah. the same hardship. Yeah, he's yeah he's st- sticking himself in one place, and he's dedicating himself to defending just this one small town. Mm. Um. So yeah, it's a really interesting and I think quite a fitting final story for Matt Smith. I especially love the little glimpses we get of his relationship with the children of the town. Yeah, is it Barnabas? Is that his little friend? Barnable. Barnable, Yeah, that's obviously his favourite. But, like, he, uh, you know, he's just become this sort of, like, eccentric man. He he refers to himself as the Sheriff of Christmas. Um, But also, you know, he spends most of his time, you know, fixing little wooden toys and... And, and and like he's you see on his walls around he's got this sort of growing collection of of pictures that the children have, have painted for him. And mm. to me, this is I feel like this is a deliberate sort of acknowledgement of one of the key important things about the show is that yes, adults enjoy it and are very passionate about it, but you know, the doctor is in many ways a character for children. And I think one of the reasons that this show works so well as a family show is that it doesn't shy away from showing scary stuff, Mm. but it gives you the character of the doctor to hold on to. And it reassures you and says, don't worry, the doctor will fix it. You know, it, and so it, it does that thing of like, it allows you to dip your toe into darker waters and helps in that way, helps you to grow up a bit. But it gives you the same kind of comfort that you get from, you know, your parents and and, and other people, and, and just being like, "Oh, don't worry, you know, there's a there's a silly man. He's a silly man, but he'll help. You know, he'll fix it." <laughs> and I don't know. I think there's something quite magical about that. And 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 the, the idea of of this doctor kind of settling down you know <laughs> dividing his time between <laughs> blowing up monsters and fixing children's toys yeah. i think is kind of beautiful so, so he lives that life for 300 years yeah until the tardis reappears with clara trying to break into it so she's hung on yes. to the outside through the time yeah. vortex yeah like captain jack did yeah she doesn't have the benefit of being immortal no no. But, uh, I like the idea that she says she was tricked and he says she was saved. Yeah. Um, and then 
A moment of silence, because this is where Handles begins to fall apart and fail. Oh, breaks my heart yeah. every time. Yeah. And, you know, his, his dying words. <laughs> Attention, you must patch the telephone back through the main console unit. Mm. Faithful to the end. Ah, oh. yeah. R.I.P. Handles. So, the next morning... The Doctor and Clara watch the sunrise. Mm-hmm. And he explains he has no more regenerations. Yeah. And so they handily sort of lay out the maths for us. Mm. In that, you know, there's uh, the hidden regeneration of the War Doctor. And then also once Tennant regenerated into himself. <laughs> yeah. I like that line. It was, it was just yeah. like, you know, he, he was... I, I, I had vanity issues at the time, is what he <laughs> yeah. says. Yeah, so I think this is maybe the point I realised where we were going. Yeah. Um, So Clara implores the Doctor to speak to the church and request a parley. Mm. Okay? And, yeah, in fact, this is the moment I knew Smith was finished when he said, everything ends sooner than you'd think. Yeah. You know, it's very on the nose, isn't it? It was like when McGann came back and he went, oh, I'm a doctor, but probably not the one you were expecting. I've just learned yeah. to take things like that literally now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was my, like, oh, shit moment. <laughs> well, I'm at least, I'll tell you what, I'm at least glad that iPlayer didn't spoil it for you. No, no. Um. So, yeah, don't, I don't like that. Don't like this. Yeah. So, yeah. The silence are now present, and they are yep. confessional priests. Yes, we finally get an explanation for them. They were genetically modified so that you can say whatever you want to them and you'll forget that you've said it. Mm. Is that useful? No. I would have thought... Not the surely point you would of... just leave the church and think, oh, no, I've got to get that off my chest and just go back in. Yeah. You could be there all day. I don't know. I, yeah, I, I don't really get the thinking there. Um, I th- in the same way that, that Moffat obviously has certain kinks that creep into his writing, I feel like he has certain hang-ups around the church, and partic- particularly the Catholic church, that he's maybe trying to work through here. Not necessarily in a very effective way. <laughs> no. But uh, still, yeah. So the church is all run by secret Daleks now. It's just men with suckers yep. coming out their head. Yeah, we've seen them before in Asylum of the Daleks. And sort of we like... get a mention of the Kavarian Church. Yes, so we finally get our explanation for basically everything that happens in Series 6. Yeah. Which is Madame Kavarian led a splinter group of the church, including some of the silence. Mm-hmm. And who dedicated themselves to trying to stop the Doctor before he could even get to Trenzalore. Mm. In the process, they screw up so badly that they cause the exploding TARDIS and therefore the cracks in space and time, which are the entire reason that the Doctor's here now having to defend Trenzalore. See, that's another thing I've just remembered. Uh, <laughs> in terms of Tasha Lem being River, I'm pretty certain yeah. the Doctor calls her a psychopath. And at this yeah. point, they say, oh, the church raised a psychopath. 
Yeah, yeah. It definitely makes sense that there was a draft where she was River, but but also I don't like the idea of River being in charge of the the church. So maybe it was a very different draft. I don't know. Um, I would have much preferred to have River in this. So I'm assuming Alex Kingston just wasn't available. Nah, she probably got better things to do washing her hair. Yeah, she has got a lot of it. So yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> so <laughs> Tasha Len is also a Dalek now. And yes. she yeah. gets Clara, just grabs her. For a bit. Until the Doctor <laughs> insults her, which manages to overcome all the Dalek programming. Uh, it feels so cheap, doesn't it? Mm. I feel like... Uh, Moffat does this occasionally, where he'll do, he'll do some dramatic twist and then undo it in the space of the same scene. Yeah. So it lasts for literally two minutes. He did that in the name of the Doctor, where Jenny is is killed by the Whispermen, and then the, like the back. next scene, she's brought back by Strax, and it just feels really cheap to me. Like either commit to Tasha Lem being taken over by the Daleks and having that horrifying moment, or or don't. You know, have her be the one survivor. But it feels like very have your cake and eat it to me. So, at this point, they head back to the TARDIS and the Doctor promises Clara he won't send her away again. Yes. He immediately sends her back home. (laughs) The Doctor lies. Yeah. So, I think he knows, you know, she could have probably stayed with him for the first 300 years, but this is where things are going to get really bad. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So all the Doctor's enemies attack at once. Mm-hmm. So the Doctor stands alongside some of the silence against the Daleks. Yeah, which is kind of a surreal moment, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I mean, obviously the narration kind of points out that, like, you know, former foes now sort of stood shoulder to shoulder defending the town of Christmas. But, yeah, it is odd um, to see that. So, Clara goes back home and has a really sad Christmas dinner. Yeah, it's just really awkward yeah. and bad. Like, Linda has has got rubbish Christmas crackers with yeah. poems instead of jokes in. Nothing worse. Yeah. Uh, and it's all going very wrong until the TARDIS arrives. Yeah. So, even though, yeah, this is a series of things happening and immediately being undone. Yeah. <laughs> so Tasha Lem is flying it and she takes Clara back to Trenzalore. Yeah. She says that the doctor shouldn't die alone. Hmm. And when we get there, the doctor's really old now. And I thought yeah. the prosthetics were pretty good. Oh, yeah. I think they're, they're, they're really good in this. And, uh, and I helped with Smith's performance again. One of the last times I'll get to say it. Matt Smith is really fucking good in yeah. this, isn't he? Tell you what, I watched, I don't know if you saw it advertised this week, Des, mm. starring I David no. Tennant. Right. Uh, where he plays Dennis Nielsen, like the British right. serial killer. Mm. And he is chilling in it. Ugh, I can imagine. From yeah. Happy Cheery David Tennant that I watched a couple of weeks ago. He's brilliant mm. in it. I mean, the only thing I've seen him in where he's a proper horrible villain is uh, Jessica Jones. Yeah. 
But even then, he still maintains a bit of his Doctor Who-ness. He's still charismatic. Yeah, there's kind of yeah, there's a charm there yeah. on some level. But yeah, uh, right, good actor. Yeah, <laughs> no argument from me. Um, so as the Daleks approach, the Doctor tells Clara he's got a plan. Yeah, and then he says, "Well, I don't actually. It's just uh, people love it when I say that." So how, how could he lie and say that he's got a plan to that man in the truth field? Uh, that's a good question. I don't think Moffat thought or cared about that. that <laughs> like, one of the like <laughs> highlights of the episode mm. is him lying in the truth field. So yeah. the Doctor says goodbye to Clara. He says, you know, this is where I'm going to go fall. So as he leaves, she speaks to the Time Lords. Yeah. And she says the question is wrong. It's not Doctor Who. His name is the Doctor. He helps mm. people. That's the meaning of his name. That is who he is. Yeah. yeah. And as she says this, the crack begins to close. Mm. Because Oh she 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 basically begs him to help him and just says, Look, I, I like the line she says, If you love him even a little bit, and you should, mm. you will help him now. So yeah. So the crack closes. But it immediately opens in the sky mm -hmm. and sends the Doctor regeneration energy. Yeah. And as they cite the rules of regeneration, we've heard this line before, never tell the Doctor the rules. Yeah. yeah. It's like Han Solo, never tell me the odds, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I think he, he gets all this regeneration energy. And I feel he loses a few lives here because he just blasts a lot of it into outer space. Yeah, I mean, I guess he's, his justification here is it's it's a whole new regeneration cycle. Mm. Um, and we don't even know the limit of it. You know, yeah. is, it an, is it another 12 regenerations? That, that's for is someone it's... to, in 50 years, to sort out. <laughs> yeah. You know, the show will be cancelled again before we get there. Quite possibly. Um... But, yeah, so he, he manages to just blast a load of Dalek ships and things with with uh, great big bolts of regeneration energy. Yeah. And, and uh, as he yeah. does, Clara goes back to the TARDIS. Mm -hmm. And when she gets there, the Doctor's young again. Yeah. And this is where I had a hope, like, everything's fixed. Let's blast off in the TARDIS. <laughs> See you next week. Yeah, come on, you knew that they weren't going to end it no. that way. So, it's a whole new regeneration cycle. Apart from, one one of the first things that you see, I think, possibly before you even see the Doctor, is a discarded bowl of fish fingers and custard. Oh, is it? Laid on the console, yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. So, he says, times change, and so must I. Mm. And we see little Amelia. Yeah. But it's not old little Amelia, because she's probably about 40 by now. <laughs> she was definitely a teenager by this point so they had to artfully mask her, the, the child actress's face with uh, some of the drawings yeah. and but, then we see uh, Amy yeah just for a second and I don't... also sporting a wig yeah I was going to say also <laughs> shaved her head for a film at this point yes. but the wig she's wearing yeah. is made of her own hair yeah which is surreal <laughs> mental isn't it but, uh, yeah, I, I love that she said in an interview afterwards, one of her biggest regrets is they, they never thought to swap wigs when they were oh, on set. Now there's a photograph. 
I'd love <laughs> yeah. to see somewhere. Yeah. I think they're a bit too emotional at the time. And she says, Raggedy Man, good night. Yeah, and that's that. And he takes the bow tie off. Yeah. And he gives his last little speech. Yeah, you know, I'll never forget when the Doctor was me. And one, one of my favourite lines, and this is just one of my favourite lines in the history of anything ever, and it, it's a thought that I carry with me wherever I go, is when the, he says, we're different people all through our lives, and that's good because you've got to keep moving, so long as you remember all the people that you used to be. Mm. I adore that as just a piece of philosophy. Because I don't know about you, I've had a lot of phases to my life. Oh, 100%. A lot of different things, you know, a lot of different ways in which I may have defined myself at one point and no longer can define myself that way. And I don't necessarily regret any of those other earlier versions of me. I think they had to happen for me to be who I am now. And who I am now is different to who I'll be 10 years from now. Mm-hmm. And it's just, in, in that moment, in that line, what Moffat manages to do is kind of crystallise all of Doctor Who as an allegory for the human condition. Well, I, I, and that's gorgeous and brilliant. I also feel you know. when he says, I'll never forget the Doctor was me, yeah. that's Matt Smith speaking, that's not the Doctor. Of course it is, in exactly the same way that when Tennant said, I don't want to go, that was Tennant mm. speaking. Because I, I think that's Matt Smith yeah. saying, you know, come and talk to me, I'm still the Doctor. You know, if you yeah. see me on the train, I'll never forget, yeah. I am the Doctor. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And he, you know, he said in an interview since, you know, he, he, he had a wonderful time doing it, he doesn't regret it. I think... I think the reason, from what from reading between the lines of interviews and things like that, I think the reason, a big factor of why he chose to go when he did was that he was so close to Karen Gillan and Arthur Darville that it just he wasn't never the quite, same. it never felt the same for him. I, I think that, because he, he, did, he did a full year, basically, even though it was only half a series, it was a full year's filming and, and scheduling and stuff, working with Jenna Coleman. And it's no slight on Jenna Coleman, but they didn't have the same relationship. Like, because Smith and, and Davil and, and, and Gillen, they were kind of of a very similar age, of a very similar temperament, wherein they were doing press junkets and things like that. They would be out partying in the evenings and they were proper friends. Mm. Um, and I think when they left, it kind of it just it just changed things for him in a way that he just didn't enjoy doing it the way that he did. Yeah. With them, so I I totally respect his decision to to leave when he did. But um, so yeah, when I was taking yeah. in all this emotional speech and you know this big moment, yeah, bang, Capaldi, fuck off, see you next <laughs> week. <laughs> it's so quick, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, and I love that. I love how quick it is. That, like, we've had these very drawn-out regenerations. It's nice that it's just like, zoom, yeah. gone. Because yeah. um, it, it's meant to be jarring. Yeah. Um, 
And it is. It's a big change. That probably, in some ways, the biggest change that we've seen in New Who so far. In the Doctor had been getting sort of, you know, we'd had two very different, but still two young, good-looking, uh, roguish kind of Doctors mm. in a row, and all of a sudden. We've got a very fierce-looking old man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is a big change. So, yeah, he turns um, up. He says, oh, I've got new kidneys. I don't like the colour. Yeah. Ask Clara if she can fly the TARDIS. Yeah, I, lo- I love where he just, <laughs> just says, just one question for you. Do you happen to know how to fly this thing? Yeah, and then that's <laughs> it. Yeah. Maybe. Here's a, here's a tip, Doctor. If you know you're about to regenerate... Maybe don't set the TARDIS into flight first. He yeah. keeps doing this. Has that been three on the bounce? Um, I think so. Because John Hurt so, into yeah. Eccleston's on the TARDIS. Yeah. TARDIS, uh, sorry, Eccleston. Um, Eccleston in, into, into, Tenant. into Tenant. Yeah, that was on the TARDIS. I think they were in flight there. Was Tenant was Ten- in that radiation chamber, wasn't it? Well, that's what it's triggered, but he's actually... He goes back to his TARDIS oh, to right. finally regenerate. So, yeah. Smashes up the interior of the TARDIS in the process whilst it's in flight. So when Matt Smith comes out, he the first thing he realises is he, the TARDIS is crashing. Yeah. Do you remember? I do now, yeah, because it crashes yeah. in Amy's garden, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So... So he just... Just, you, you just stand outside. <laughs> Get it over and done with and then pop back in and see how you feel. Maybe have a little lie down before you set off. <laughs> but no. Um, so, yeah, there we go. The yeah. End of an era. I- I'm going to approach it with, like, an open mind because yeah, this is where we're well and truly into, like, the Doctor Who I have no idea about. Yeah, slightly more uncharted so, territory. Yeah, But coming off the back of my favourite, I mean, not necessarily the Clara bit, but mm. my favourite Doctor. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I just wanted more. I think I almost always feel that way with mm. Doctor Who. The only real exceptions to that for me are Tom Baker, who had an incredibly long run. Mm. And, you know, definitely didn't adhere to the leave them wanting more mantra. Um, because like, as much as I love him, uh, yeah, I've, I've had enough of him by the time, time he's done. And Tennant, who, as I've said before, has never been my favourite Doctor. Like, and that's not no knock on the actor. It's more to do with the characterisation of his specific Doctor. And, and there are brilliant episodes that he's in. Don't get me wrong. And I, and I love great chunks of the RTD era, but um, yeah, T- Tennant just for, for various reasons isn't one of my faves. Um, and because again, he has the longest run of any new who doctor in terms of number of stories. I'm, I'm good with what we get from him really. Yeah. Um, like I don't, I don't mind having more of him. Like, you know, I'm more than happy to pick up a novel or a comic or something in, in it and ha- in, enjoy some more 10th doctor adventures. But I'm not. I'm not yearning for it in the same way. I. I am with Matt Smith. I'll be honest. I would. I would love Matt Smith to pop in and do some. Do a, a, a few big finished stories or something. Just get a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. 
They've got Arthur Darvel doing some stuff. Yeah. So that's one down out of the dream team. Because I think if you get Matt Smith back, you've got to get um, Amy and Rory back. I know, but, like, weirdly, it's Amy who's, like, most in the public eye, more so than the yeah. Doctor. Yes, yeah. I I would. I think there's an argument made that Karen Gillan is probably the most internationally successful Doctor Who actor. Um, with I guess maybe John Hurt. Yeah, you would say. But he went the other way. Cast. He? he was successful yeah. first. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it was more stunt casting getting him. What about Richard E. Grant? <sighs> Uh, I don't think so. No, I think he's well known within like British film and stuff. But like, I mean, Karen Gillan is in the f- the freaking MCU playing a main character. Mm. That is huge. Um, yeah, I don't think anyone else has quite sort of come close to what she's done in terms of international fame, and not just the MCU. You know, the the, the Jumanji films and like big mainstream Hollywood stuff she's doing now. Um. So, yeah, it's interesting if you look at Matt Smith's career since. I think I think there's a parallel universe in which it took off more than it has. Yeah. Like I say, I watched him in The Crown, and he was brilliant yeah. in that. Yeah, yeah. And I think there is more still to come from him. I don't think he's going to be landing the big Hollywood films in quite the way that maybe he was trying to but for a while. Do you think that's because he's not necessarily a traditional looking handsome Hollywood yeah, I think whereas I think that's you could argue yeah. that Karen Gillan is? Yes, yeah. I think that's definitely a factor. But I think if he continues down the vein of being more of a character actor kind of thing, maybe doing villain roles and mm-hmm. things like that. I think he... I, I know he did one in a Terminator film that I've not seen. Yeah, um, but he's largely not in it. Right. And oh, I'm certain mistake. in... Wasn't he cast in the Star Wars sequels as young Palpatine? I, th- and that I think he cut. was, and then they changed... Yeah, they, they, they pulled that idea. Um, yeah, that's the Star Wars film that I've still not seen. Mm. Because it sort of co- it went, came out around the time that uh, my son was being born, and I've not caught up with it yet. <laughs> Um, but so, yeah, yeah, I, it's it, it is sad to see him go. But also, I hope you will approach Capaldi with an open mind and and um. Yeah, like I remember he at the brings his own. I didn't want, he, yeah, I didn't want Smith, and I wanted Tennant. So yeah, it's it's kind of it's like it's kind of well documented. This tends to be the cycle for for Who fans. It's like you you've got this sort of like. It's not quite the, the the sort of seven stages of grief. It's you know, because but it's not far off. It's like you, you you've gotten so used to this the character being this certain way that it's an adjustment period. It's an adjustment period for the actor as well. It takes a few episodes for them to get find their feet, um, usually. And I think Matt Smith's a bit of an exception to that actually, because Eleventh Hour is just like hits the ground running. But, um. <sighs> And at least we've still yeah. got Clara. Good, we do good still old have Clara. Clara. I mean, how are you Companion feeling about Clara at this one. point? He's <laughs> still not not convinced by no, Clara. Like, it's just like it. We didn't need her in this episode. 
So that, you know, oh, she's the impossible girl. It didn't really matter well, whether she was there or not. Doctor was going in the time stream anyway, wasn't he? Yeah, well... <laughs> you know, it's just like... Everything's, what, just, what? everything's <laughs> wrapped up with Clara. Everything's wrapped up with Trenzalore. Every, you know, we know where Gallifrey yeah. is. So... What? Well, it will, it will be nice to have a familiar face. And yeah. Who knows what C- Series 8 will bring us. Mm. Um, I mean, I do. Our listeners almost certainly do. But you don't, Matt, and that's the important thing. No. Um, so, we, I think next week we'll do, we'll do, we'll do our usual series wrap-up. Um, yes. We'll talk a bit more Finally about... Finally a week where I don't have to watch anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I don't have any mini episodes or anything. I've got nothing for you next I'll week. I'll be mad if you do, because surely you've <laughs> blown your load by now. Uh, I don't know. I mean, we could squeeze in an episode of Classic if you want. Um, I'd rather. <laughs> I mean, we... I'd rather find out what a bullet tastes like. <laughs> Travelling at high speed. Alrighty then. Um. So join us next week when we'll be talking uh, more about Series 7 as a whole, maybe more of about just the Matt Smith era in general, and uh, yeah, and maybe just casting our minds forward and, and speculating on what might be to come. So until then, thank you very much for listening, everyone, and cheerio! Bye now! Thank you for listening to Neither the Time Nor the Space. If you wish to contact us, our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com and on Twitter we are at timenorspacepod. And thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who theme.